Last week, we were really blessed by our two grandsons in Texas. They were in a musical, Elf Jr. And our younger grandson, he uh, played a lot of different parts. He's just going to turn 10. It's the first time he'd ever done anything like this. Our older grandson, Parker, he was Buddy. He was the star of the show. And they both did a, a great, great job. We took two of our grandkids from Oklahoma down with us so they could enjoy it and get to see their cousins perform. Uh, they knew what clowns they were all the time in regular life, but they got to see them perform. And so a good time was had by all, uh, except for the disappointment of our two Oklahoma grandkids. They were looking forward to go, going swimming in the pool uh, in Texas, but there was a thunderstorm and lightning and all that, and so they just weren't able to do that. So that was a disappointment. But it's always a blessing to be close enough to do things with or do things for our grandchildren and to have them nearby. Uh, and then I did something this last Sunday that I had not done in seven years. Uh, I preached, okay? Uh, at first I declined and said, you know, I don't really think I should be doing that. And then the Lord reminded me of something. Uh, he said, you've been asking me for ways to serve that you don't feel like you're serving to the extent that you should be, and so I'm giving you this opportunity. So I changed my mind. So I, I preached it too small, and I mean small United Methodist churches in a very different part of uh, Oklahoma City. I just didn't know where I was hardly. All this open land and woods and, and all that um, is not part of where we live and do most of our living. Uh, the first church, uh, there was 10 people, okay? And I kind of expected that from what the pastor had told me. Now, the second church, I understood to be the big church, okay? Uh, and there was nine there. So I asked the Lord to send those that needed to hear his message that day. And so that's who was there. And I was blessed, and hopefully the, the people that came, the congregations, were blessed. But more importantly, um, hoping that it was a blessing to the Lord. Uh, so this last week has been pretty good. Uh, you know, really, uh, things just seemed to fall into place, and we had a good week. Now that we're in August... We're switching things into high gear because this is going to be uh, an exciting, busy month. Let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks that you have given us your word. And we get it in so many forms, you know, written and spoken and uh, on computer and uh, on our phones that we can take any place that we go and Lord, so many different uh, versions, uh, some that are easier to understand than others. And so, Father, we just really are blessed. And Lord, help me, help us to, to not forget that. Uh, Lord, there's people that are dying uh, because they have your word with them. 
and we have it in, in our convenience. So, Father, uh, let us look at your word and see the message that you have for us. So open our ears and our minds and our hearts and let your Holy Spirit guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. James chapter 4. Well, Jesus' brother continues with advice and instructions to the 12 tribes, uh, Jews that had become believers. But they were struggling in a lot of ways, just like today. Church, some churches struggle in different countries, churches struggle. you know. But in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, and James asks this question or questions, it says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Now, the King James defines fights and quarrels as wars and fighting. Oh, however you look at this, it sounds like these struggles were nothing to be ignored. Now, I've heard rumors about some church meetings that almost come to blows that people are so um, wrapped up in whatever their thoughts were, or their ideas are, whatever it may be, <clears throat> that you know they risk doing something as ignorant as that. Uh, praise the Lord, I never served one of those churches. Um, I know we did sometimes get some rather uh, heated disagreements at times, but um, myself or somebody else was able to step in, <coughs> excuse me, and uh, throw some cold water on it. So James is trying to pinpoint the cause of this problem. And he zeroes in on something that we all have, and that's desires. Everybody has desires of some kind uh, that could be really good or that could be really bad. And so he says that, uh, you know, we, we don't like to see our desires materialize. <clears throat> Excuse me. Whether that's a desire that you have for yourself or your family or your business, um, you know, the, the church that you're part of or the school where you're attending or your kids are attending. Uh, and... Most of us think that we have the very best answer and we have the only possible solution to what's being faced. And sometimes we can become rather zealous in presenting those. In verse 2, James goes on, says, You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Boy, that term, so you kill. I mean, it's pretty drastic to think that somebody would be, you know, especially within the church, uh, that they would be so caught up and so drastic that they would take the life of another person. But I think we see this happening in, in other places in our lives. Just the other day, this blew my mind. I, I saw where, I can't remember now where it was, it doesn't matter, that there had been a wedding and uh, gone to the reception. 
and these women started fighting, and one of them shot another woman. I'm thinking, really? You know, here you are celebrating the wedding of friends or family, and and all, and you're fighting and shooting. Really? Well, sometimes a child doesn't get their way, and they kill. We've seen it. Patrons in a fast food place or wherever, you know, the order is wrong. They didn't get their French fries or whatever it might be, and they're ready to kill somebody. Or somebody feels wrongly accused about something, and they're willing to kill. Students get bullied, and the answer to that that they see is to kill those that are doing the bullying. Um, siblings get into arguments about whatever, quite often money or power within the family, and they see no problem with killing the other person. This all comes from wanting it our way, wanting it in our time, being jealous of someone else. Now, some believe that James isn't actually talking about killing that he may be referring to what his brother said in Matthew 5, 21 and 22, when Jesus said, You have heard it said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Wow. You know, I guess I've never said raka to anybody, but that means uh, empty-headed or someone that is empty and worthless. So it's not very nice. Um, <laughs> there may have been some times where I wanted to say raka to somebody, but... Um, you know, that wouldn't get you into court today um, unless you went a step further from just calling somebody a name. So if James is using uh, Jesus' decree, uh, maybe nobody is actually killed. Verse 3 says, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you, the, excuse me, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. That's a really true statement. Okay, We often go to the Lord asking for our wants, and he may very often say, mm, no, or wait. And like a child, we don't like that answer. That's not what we want to hear when we go to the Lord and say, Lord, this is what I need or this is what I think I need, this is what I want. And God says, no, not today anyways. So we need to remember that God is a loving Father and that he wants only the best for us. And sometimes we're ready to settle for kind of moldy baloney when he's got prime rib for us. And any of you vegans, I'm sorry for that example. But we need to remember that God's will is perfect. Okay, Paul told, told us that in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. 
when he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Amen. James 4.4. 4. Uh, James starts out asking a question. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Listen to how the message puts this. It says, you're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God and his way. Okay, remember the NIV said you adulterous people, and then Eugene Peterson says you're cheating on God. Same thing, okay? Uh, if the NIV had used uh, some of Eugene Peterson's language in there, he would have said, you know, you're, you're cheating people. You know, you're just doing the things that you know you shouldn't do. You know, and adultery and cheating are really kind of the same thing. But the word enmity, another one of those words that we don't use a whole lot today, means hostility, opposition, conflict, resentment, friction. Okay, so instead of using the word enmity, uh, the, the NIV could have said it means you will have friction with God, means that you will be in opposition to God, means that you will resent God. Don't want to hear those things, but you get the picture. If we're buddy-buddy with the world, we have left God. Verse 5, another question, or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us. After Jesus was resurrected, in a short time he went to heaven. And a short time after that was Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit came to live in the hearts and lives of believers. That was God's idea. God knew that we would need his help. He had sent himself through Jesus to give us salvation, to give us the example we needed to live our lives. And then he sent us the Holy Spirit. And like Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's going to remind you of the things I've said. And it's going to help you to, to learn. And so we need to, to make sure that we allow the Holy Spirit to do that. Came. Okay. The Lord knew that we were not going to make it on our own. And he is so, so right. So we just keep proving him right every day that we need him more and more. Well, then we're given some more good news. Because in verse 6 it says, But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. More grace. Grace needed daily. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. How true. 
Now, James may possibly be quoting Solomon from uh, Proverbs 3.34, where Solomon says, He mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. So even though James was not a follower of Jesus while he was still ministering, you know, before he had been resurrected, he was probably aware of who Jesus hung out with, that he hung out with the humble and the oppressed, those that no one else wanted anything to do with. That's where you would find Jesus, with those people. That may be one of the reasons why Jesus was referred to by his family as being out of his mind. Christians get accused of that sometimes, or, you know, we probably should be if we're living our lives the way we should. Verse number seven, James says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Okay, so this is a two-part solution that James gives us in our wanting to get closer to the Lord. Okay, first part is submit to the Lord. Okay, you know, give yourself up to the Lord. The second part is resist Satan. Now, if we do, number one, if we do submit to the Lord, it should be easier for us to resist Satan. It's not an automatic thing, okay, but it should be easier. And verse 7 from the message is put this way. So let God work his will in you. Yell aloud no to the devil and watch him make himself scarce. Okay, I need to do both. We need to do both. You know, let God work his will in me. And when I see Satan attacking, to say, not today, Satan. It ain't going to happen. Get out of here. I'm a child of God. So we need to let Satan and God know that we're serious about a relationship with the Lord. Okay? Because Satan can look at us and say, this is just a lukewarm Christian. You know, somebody that I can get back on my side with no problem. Or God can say, this person is growing and getting stronger and allowing me to be a bigger part of their life. They both know where we are. So if we keep falling and falling to the same sins, though, God and Satan are really going to wonder what our relationship is with him. And in verse 8, James speaks more about this because he says, Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Come near to God. Well, who moved? Not the Lord. He's been right there, you know, the same place from day one, the day that you made him your Lord and Savior. It's maybe kind of like what Jesus said to the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2, 4 and 5. Is yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. 
Okay, so Jesus is saying you better repent <laughs> or you are in trouble. Okay, because I am going to come to you and you are not going to like the way I'm coming. Well, most believers, when they first begin their relationship with the Lord, are just kind of really excited. And, you know, think, you know, man, I'm going to go to Africa and find this tribe that nobody's ever spoken to before. And I'm going to win them all to Jesus. And, <clears throat> excuse me, or I'm going to be an evangelist and I'm going to travel all over the country and hundreds and hundreds of people will come to know the Lord as their Savior every time I speak for the Lord and, and all. And, you know, some people stay on that mountaintop pretty much forever. And that's awesome. But many others see the relationship cool off over time for whatever reason. I know, I, well, I need to blame myself. But, you know, after I came to the Lord, there was nobody there to, to mentor me and to, to help me to know more about the Lord and to grow in the Lord and all. And so, you know, I just kept kind of getting cooler and cooler in my relationship until the Lord changed things. But what Jesus and his brother James are telling us is this, get back to where you started. Okay, come near to, to God just like you were, and just like you need to be. And when we are there, that doesn't mean Satan's going to stop attacking, okay? because he wants you back, but you'll be better able to fend him off. I think James really hit the nail on the head in verse 8 when he said we need to wash our hands, we need to purify our hearts, and to not be double-minded. Okay, washing our hands, the sins that we do, the sins that we commit, purifying our hearts, the, the thoughts that we have. And to be double-minded is, you know, on Sunday morning, you know, everybody looks at us and thinks, wow, what a great Christian. And then, then during the week, we're doing who knows what, but it's certainly not something of the Lord. In verse 9, he says this, Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. That does not sound like a lot of fun, okay? When you think of that, to grieve, mourn, wail, mourning, gloom. No, I don't think so. What James is saying comes down to one word. Repent. Okay, to turn away from your sin. To examine yourself and see what needs to change, and then do it. Okay, a lot of times we look and say, no, man, I really shouldn't be doing this, but we don't do anything about it, and we keep on doing it. Or, you know, I really shouldn't talk that way, but we continue to talk that way. Well, after verse 9 comes verse 10. Imagine that. Which says, humble ourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Not, he will wait for you to lift yourself up. It says that the Lord will lift you up. But you need to humble yourself before the Lord for that to happen. Verses 11 and 12 
James tells us how to be conducting ourselves toward others. He says, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you? Who are you to judge your neighbor? Great question, James. But we all seem to do that quite often. And remember who your neighbor is. Not just that guy living across the street or next door to you. You know, your neighbor is anyone. Do we judge them? Oh, yeah. You know, when you go to Walmart and you, you see them there in their pajama bottoms and their slippers, or, you know, people that are those ones at the fast food place that are screaming and hollering about not getting their french fries, we judge them. God says, don't do it. But we do. Well, James pretty much completely changes gears to finish this chapter. In verse 13, it says, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. I think we may sometimes say something similar, because we'll say, you know, what, when I get this job, you know, then everything is going to be good. You know, when I get this promotion, you know, we're going to be able to, you know, live better and pay bills and get things we can't get right now. Or when I move to Kentucky or when I move to Michigan or wherever it might be, you say, things are going to be different. You know, we're going to be close to family or, you know, there's more jobs there or the weather's better or whatever it might be. You know, when we move there, oh boy, things are going to get good. Or maybe, you know, when I finally finish my degree in whatever that might be, uh, you know, then I'll be able to, to get a better job. Well, in 1979, that was me. I'd been working for the Sheriff's Department for four years, I guess, at that time. And I quit. And <laughs> I went to work for Combined Life of New York. I was selling insurance because I was told that, you know, you will just make money hand over fist. And some weeks I did. Other weeks, I was fortunate to break even. Other weeks, it cost me more in gas than what I made. So I decided maybe this wasn't my best choice. And so I went back to the sheriff's department. So we need to listen to what James tells us. And especially here in verse 14, he says, why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. I think I forget that, or we forget that. Okay, I mean, my life is like a grain of sand on the beach or in the desert. You know that it really doesn't mean much and isn't going to have much of an impact. The message puts it in an interesting light, I think, uh, where it says, you don't know the first thing about tomorrow. You're nothing but a wisp of fog catching a brief 
bit of sun before disappearing. So true. It doesn't matter how rich you are, how powerful you may be, you know, in your job or in government or whatever, how popular you might be. You know, everybody thinks you are just the greatest person that there ever was and everybody loves you or how gifted you might be. You know, you may be the, the fastest runner breaking all kinds of records. You may be able to play 15 different instruments or whatever it might be. It doesn't matter because one day you're going to be nothing but a distant memory. All these athletes and singers and actors and, and all that that make millions and millions of dollars will be no one soon. They don't think so. Okay, they think that they're going to have an impact that's going to last for years and years and years. Their fans don't think that, you know, they're going to be nobody. You know, they love their actors and their singers and their athletes. But God knows, you know, the time's coming when you're just going to be a faded memory. In James 15, he puts it, I think, into a better perspective because he says, instead, okay, instead of you saying you're going to go here or there and you're going to make money and all, he says, instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. We need to make the Lord the center of our choices, his will, because his will will prevail. So sometimes we need to just kind of get over ourselves. And knowing that, verse 16 speaks about what is too often reality. Because he says, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. It's no problem. Nothing wrong about having hopes and dreams about the future. But don't let them become more important than God's will, because that is a problem. God wants us to have hopes and dreams, but he wants to be the center of them. And finishing up the chapter in verse 17, it takes us back really to chapter 2 of James, when he says here, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's a sin for them. In chapter 2, James is talking about seeing a brother or sister in need and not meeting that need. Well, how does that tie into 414? Well, how, why do you want to go to this or that city and become rich? To gain more stuff for yourself or to be able to help more people? If your heart's right with the Lord, it will be to help us become rich, that we can do more for his children. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks for those that know this, those that know that they need to live their lives for you, those that have a commitment, and maybe that commitment has been uh, a few months or maybe it's been many, many years. Well, Lord, they still have a commitment to you and so, Lord, let that become stronger, that they'll do more for you. And, Lord, I, I lift up anyone that has not made that commitment, that may 
uh, have been directed by you to listen to this, that, Father, they'll realize that uh, they need to make some big changes in their lives and that they really need to, to make them now, uh, to not wait. And so, Father, I just give you thanks for both of those groups of people, but those that, that need you, Lord, they need to realize that they've been a sinner, confess that sin to you, and realize that Jesus Christ died for their sins. And then he rose from the dead, and he's coming back again, just like he said that he would. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.